Welcome, listeners. This is Jonathan Yamasaki, founder and co-host of Go Entrepreneur Yourself. And this is Richard Ceballos, your sensible yet fierce co-host, all the way from the Silicon Valley slash San Francisco area. We are a podcast where we bring you local entrepreneurs and leaders from around the world to share their story about adversity, triumph, and their business. The name of this podcast speaks for itself. We empower you with digestible, inspiring, and valuable content on starting your own business. Also, we dissect stories of success and reveal some of the raw truths and hardships of creating and maintaining a business. Today, we bring you an amazing entrepreneur, Jeroen Korthout, who one day got sick and tired of manually inputting a whole bunch of data on various software programs. It was until he recognized that that data he was putting into his CRM was available in another system. This inspired him to automate that process and develop a powerful yet simple CRM for startups. That startup is Salesflare. Their company has been the number one CRM product on Product Hunt. Product Hunt is just a place where a bunch of entrepreneurs, startups, geek over technology and products. And it's also backed by Y Combinator, companies like Google Ventures. And Jeroen, you also have a podcast called Founder Coffee, correct? Yeah, I have a podcast called Founder Coffee. I, uh, I actually interview a fellow SaaS founder, so uh, software as a service, to sort of give other founders an idea of how other founders spend their day, what their focus is, uh, how they stay sane, you know, all these kind of things <laughs> that normally aren't really talked about. Usually it's about mm. uh, strategies or something. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Richard, if you want to go ahead and start us off. So yeah, Rune, before we learn more about what a CRM is and just talk about Salesflare, I wanted to run a segment with you that we like to call the Fast Five. So this gives us and listeners a better sense of who you are on a personal level. Here's your first one. Tell me the name of a book that you are currently reading. I'm currently reading uh, two books. One is Save the Cat Writes a Novel. Save the Cat is a book about how to write film scenarios, uh, which I've also read in the past. The other book I'm reading right now is called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. It's a book about negotiation uh, written by um, one, I think, the leading international hostage negotiator of 10 years ago, so of the FBI. He writes how negotiation really works. Uh, I, I personally went to business school and I learned all this kind of theoretical frameworks on negotiation. He says uh, that's all... Uh, uh, excuse my French, uh, bullshit. Um, that's uh, assuming that people are rational beings, but we aren't. Uh, and he explains how uh, negotiation actually works. Yeah, I know they always say that we're always constantly negotiating with, with every activity that we do <laughs> in our everyday life. So here's another question I have for you. Belgian or German beer? Which one do you prefer and why? Uh, it's very easy. Belgian beer, obviously, uh, which is uh, partly chauvinism as a Belgian, uh, but partly also um, what you have to know about the, distingu uh, the, the, the difference between Belgian and German beer is uh, German beer is always the same. Uh, why? Uh, that's, the Germans had a, a, a Reinheitsgebot, uh, which was a sort of, sort of law on what could be in a beer. 
And actually, mm. this Reinheitsgebot reached until so, sort of halfway Belgium, which makes that where I am right now, we sort of had that Reinheitsgebot. So the beer was all similar. Uh, but then the rest of the country didn't have that, which made that people could be way more creative what they would put in beers. Uh, mm. And we have this huge variety of very tasty beers that go beyond the, the sort of uh, Heineken taste, which is Dutch beer, which is absolutely mm. awful. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, you explain that way better than my dad. He does a lot of traveling in Europe. I think he had too many German beers. That's probably what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you had an extra hour in the day, how would you spend it? That really depends on the day. Whatever I feel like. Um, uh, maybe, maybe I'd uh, I'd spend it on uh, on meditation. That's something I'd like to still mm. add to my day, but I but I'm not adding. Yeah. Um, I'll, I do all kinds of stuff in a day, but that's sort of still missing. So. so that's a great segue into the next question. So Yarun, what's one lesson that you learned during the pandemic about yourself? Uh, one only. Um, <laughs> Unless you have a few more. <laughs> one, one. One. <laughs> this is the fast um, one. <laughs> that I really functioned way better if, uh, if there's not too many distractions around me. Uh, I'm so much more productive working from home. The question is now how we're going to deal with that when we go back to the office part-time or full-time or whatever it's going to be. Um, but I, I, I actually really enjoyed these uh, months. I have a lot of conversations with people like I, I have with you guys now on, on, mm -hmm. on the podcast. Um, and then the other time I like to be able to spend uh, focused and in the office it's a bit, a bit more difficult. So. Okay, thank you for sharing. And lastly, what's something you accomplished during your teen years? During my teen years, um, I would say professionally, what I mostly did was one, building websites. Actually, that was my dream before I went to university was I, I was going to start a web design company because I really enjoyed back in the day uh, building websites with Flash uh, and some HTML. Uh, I could make uh, really pretty uh, animated stuff. Um, nice. And I did that for uh, a bunch of people. And then next to that, I had um, a dream of building out my uh, secondhand cell phone business. I was <laughs> basically buying cell phones in the UK and in Germany, uh, and I would resell them in Belgium. Uh, sometimes, like, it was the, at the time that the cell phone still had covers, you know. I would, uh, <laughs> yeah. I would put, a, put on another cover and it would look, uh, look like a new one. I remember That's those times. You transported me back to my, my teen years as well. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. thank you for that fast five. <laughs> we got to learn a little more about you. Uh, so Jeroen, let's start with what is CRM and what is it used for? Yeah, uh, CRM uh, stands for Customer Relationship Management. So it's, it's about managing customer relationships, obviously. What that means for most people, uh, at least in business-to-business uh, -business sales, which was what we focus on. Um, so if you, if you think about sales nowadays, where a salesperson is involved, uh, that that's, will be mostly business-to-business -business sales. There's also some real estate salespeople and all that. Uh, but most of the other sort of consumer sales people are gone, except if they're clerks in a store. Um, but then they they probably don't need, really need a CRM to manage their relationships. Um, in business-to-business -business sales, uh, it essentially means 
being there at the right times, still knowing what you said previously in the conversation, who they are, um, all those kind of things. So you can lead them from point A to point B and point A is uh, where they have some sort of problem that you can fix. And point B is uh, you, you fixing it. There is a whole process in between, depending on uh, the way you look at it, is either the buying process or the sales process. And your role as a salesperson is to guide uh, people through that. But you're doing that with tens or maybe even hundreds of uh, people at the same time. And managing their these relationships is not something you can just do <laughs> Uh, based on your memory, uh, based on your brains, it's just impossible. It becomes mm -hmm. a gigantic chaos if you try that. So what CRM software then does is providing you with a system uh, to keep track of all that, to manage it better so that every prospect or potential customer that you have, that you can manage that relationship as if they are the only prospect uh, that you have. That's that's the way they need to feel, right? Not, not like they're another... A number uh, in, mm. in the mass but like you really care about them that's the goal of uh, crm systems yeah i'm glad to hear that because technology is there for leverage so we might as well use that to enhance how we're connecting so yarun why don't you tell us a little more about the inception of salesflare salesflare started in uh, 2014 i was helping uh, my co-founder to get the marketing and sales for his, uh, for his software business going. We had a lot of leads and we had to follow those up, just like I explained. We tried to use CRM software for it, but what we always noticed was that, that we would sort of start failing at some point. And we wondered why, and we saw that it was because we just couldn't keep up with the expectations that the software sort of imposed on us. Like the software was built with the expectation that we would um, uh, diligently fill it out. Uh, every single thing we did, every piece of information we saw passing by, every new person we met, everything, you know, all the time we had to put in the CRM. And if we did that, uh, then the, the system would keep working for us and we would be able to keep managing our customer relationships in the right way. But we, we, we just couldn't do that. We would always start, start uh, slacking somewhere and then there would be less information in the system. The system would become less useful. We would put even less information in the system because of that. And then and it's this sort of vicious circle. And then we figured that actually all that, us manually filling out the system is, isn't really necessary. Because we saw that all of the data we were uh, we were inputting into to these systems was already somewhere. We either were copying uh, information from our emails, mm -hmm. from our calendar, or from our phone, or from some company database or social media, or we were trying to get email tracking info in there and web <laughs> tracking. And, and we figured we could just build a system that would automate all that, that would start from all the information that already existed and then still make it possible for you to keep it under control and maybe manually put put in something. But we started with the, with the idea that, that basically everything could be automated, which then makes everything so much easier because computers are so much better at, at uh, pulling all that data together and organizing it for you and all that. You have so much more information and you can build a, a, such a better system to organize your customer relationships on top of that. 
Yeah, I love that. It doesn't make sense for us to spend time inputting all of those things if they're already available. And I did watched a five minute demo of the platform for Salesflare, and I loved how it provided that. So it was great to see that. Thank yeah, you. because I think uh, what's important with a lot of businesses is it, it's it's time. It's time that they want to be able to put in different things to make sure that their business is well. And if a CRM system can come in and take away a lot of uh, things that could be could be automated, then that would just help them to be able to focus on the rest of their business, take care of you know their own customers and take care of uh, marketing, things like that. So that's amazing. Definitely. Also, it it's, it's, uh, saves a lot of time as well. Like the, the reason why we started is, is because it's just not feasible. Uh, mm-hmm. But when, then when you do it, it also saves time, it saves energy, it makes that you can focus on other stuff, you can manage more customers, you can, you can communicate better between departments because if the data is there, then marketing people see stuff, salespeople see things, and it's sort mm-hmm. of like communicating. Uh, you can have better forecasts for your finance, you know, all these kind of things. Yeah. Um, so it has a lot of advantages. Talking about the advantages of CRM with your company, knowing that there's alternative uh, CRM companies like Salesforce and Central, HubSpot, Pipedrive. How are mm-hmm. you able to convince your current clients that your what you're offering is unique? Uh, it, we mostly are able to convince people that know, know the issue. Uh, if people just type CRM into Google and then just start looking, they might not immediately recognize the issue. Uh, mm-hmm. They still have to sort of go through the process of finding out that it's not all as rosy as the marketing says of some companies. But then as soon as they understand the issue and they look for something that can solve it, uh, that's where we can really make a difference. Right. And then talk talk more about that. So uh, give us maybe an example where, okay, I'm a business. I'm looking at all these different CRM companies. Um, I identified a problem. How can one, if one doesn't know, how can one like kind of figure that out to see which one would be best for them? Uh, my very simple answer is, uh, using it. <laughs> if you, <laughs> I love it. You it's simple. <laughs> t- take a few CRMs and you actually use them to, to follow up some customers and you see how that goes. You'll, you'll very quickly feel what systems you will be able to keep up with, what will actually work for you. And you can make a good choice. I actually, uh, usually recommend, uh, people even to, to do that together with their sales team. Let's say if you lead sales, it's it's nice that you try it and it works for you. Mm. Uh, but essentially, it needs to work for your sales team. Mm. Um, so involve them. Tell them like, okay, I've, I've shortlisted these CRMs. Can you now please uh, try those? See which ones work for you. That's where you will maximize your chance of success because the whole bottleneck uh, in business-to-business sales uh, is the sales team using the CRM. If they don't use it, the whole system will fall apart. If they say, well, we like this CRM, then your chance of them using is already bigger because one, you actually confirmed that they want to use it. And second, you, you've created buy-in. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, if you just take something and say, well, I, I think this is great, then... Uh, you're not sure and you've imposed something on them. So Yeah, and that's a great way because even where I currently work, I know a lot of our staff members are having trouble with our CRM. They are maybe 
put off by it and it was brought in by exec uh, by executives but it was never like something that was discussed amongst everyone so there's mm -hmm. definitely that transition where people are trying their best to do it some people got it some people understand how to use it some people like it others don't and what you just said there is really important and key for any business to to really implement that into their company yeah, I agree. I think being in it and seeing implementing it to see how it works is usually the first step to seeing what CRM is going to be best for you. Um, Yarun, would you mind telling us why people sometimes don't use CRMs and perhaps how to fix that? That's something I'm curious to know about. You don't keep up with things that don't work for you, right? So mm -hmm. if, if you have to do an enormous amount of work, uh, uh, an amount of work or, or or to a level that you, you don't even feel as feasible almost you're like oof and then and then <laughs> even if you do it the system does not deliver really clear value and really helps you uh then you're not going to keep up with it especially if it then comes with uh a manager looking over your shoulder and everything you put into the crm it's like oh uh you know <laughs> looking at it to to help you at that point, it doesn't really feel like that anymore. Uh, it feels more like, okay, we're doing this for management. Uh, it's nothing for us. And you're going to severely limit what you put in a CRM. What you're going to do is if they tell you that you need to put in um, 10 leads a month and you need to put in, uh, I don't know how many calls, I, you know, that's going to be in the CRM. If they tell you put people on the newsletter, that's going to be on the CRM. Everything else will not end up there because you're not really measured on it, which then means that the data is always uh, completely flawed in some sort of direction, uh, if you know what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. I've actually been through this uh, myself at a company where I used to work. We would uh, put in our opportunities. That was a really essential data because then we could uh, see who was going to sell what. And it's sort of, if you didn't put in your opportunity, um, you didn't signal to the others that you found it. But then on the other hand, a colleague of mine started saying like, Jeroen, maybe you should put in the opportunities a little later because if you put them in right from the start, management is going to expect stuff and that's also not good. So <laughs> I started, you know, it's a, it's a system through which you communicate to management at that point. Then uh, I would put some contacts on the newsletter because that was good. Then uh, I, they would stay up to date. But then if I would meet new people that were relevant or something, I wouldn't necessarily put them in if I didn't feel like they were good material for the newsletter. We wouldn't put in any meetings or calls because it was just useless. It was a lot of work and we didn't feel like it was going to help us because our follow-up systems didn't go. We used Salesforce at the time. We didn't follow up using Salesforce. That was too cumbersome. Like filling out a task there was filling out a whole forum. Mm. Uh, I had my wonder list nicely and visual with tasks I could really easily pull up on my phone and complete and whatnot. Add notifications. Right, right. Uh, Salesforce was another world. So we built systems next to Salesforce personally. And then uh, it was only when we were asked to put in a certain amount of uh, meetings per month that we would then, you know, at the end of the month, you're like, oh, shit, the month is almost over. So you start putting in these 10 meetings uh, to reach the quota so that in the dashboards they would see like, oh, 10 meetings, uh, check. Right. Uh, that's how you start using a CRM. Yeah. And then just for the audiences out there, because uh, Yoron has a wonderful accent, he's saying CRM. 
I, I was hearing a lot in the other episodes through him, and I was like, what is he saying? I'm trying to like listen, but uh, it's because CRM, he has this great yeah. accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, so going back to what you said when you were talking about putting inputting data, like data error, how do you know and how do you manage when it's like error that the company has done or, or the person? You know what I'm saying? I, there's, I know there's like terminology. So I don't know that terminology, but whenever, okay, when is it the company's fault that the data is wrong or they did something wrong? And when is it when it's user error? There we go. Um, Maybe you can give us an example. Most of the data, um, it, again, it depends on the type of company, but, but if you're really with a sales team and using a CRM, then it's going to be mostly the sales team that inputs data. The company by itself, I mean, might be that the marketing team pushes in data. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, usually quite easy to control. So there'll, there'll be quite some data and it'll be rather correct. Uh, it's at the salesperson side that it's very hard to get a good amount of data and to have it always in the same way. Um, if you want to limit user error, as you could say, uh, yeah. the best thing you can do is sit together with your team of course, train them on, on how the system works. That's sort of essential that everybody understands. But then next to that, also discuss with each other how you're going to use the CRM because there's many ways in which you can do it. And you have to choose one as a team. Like you can say, okay, we're, we're going to put uh, prospects in this stage uh, if this mm-hmm. and that. And we're going to fill out this uh, field always because of that and that. And we're going to you know, do it then. And then if we do that, that's going to happen. You need to have some sort of guidelines and processes around it. It doesn't have to be much. You can keep it entirely pragmatic. Uh, but if you discuss these kind of things, that makes that you as a team will do everything in a uniform way that people know what to do. There won't be many data errors. Mm-hmm. And you will actually have data that you can work with uh, in the end. Uh, it will be good to communicate with each other. It will be good to pull up, for instance, certain segments and then say, we're going to target that segment. If you don't, then the data will be such a mess. Every, everybody will do it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of mistakes <laughs> will be made. Yeah. And uh, in the end, you're going to do anything with it. Yeah, you, you answered that really well. So I, you're deciphering yeah. the question I was asking and you, you asked the, you, you were better at answering the question that I was asking it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Yarun, for that insight. Since you're painting this picture of the CRM landscape, I was wondering if you can describe a challenge that you're currently facing in the CRM space for us. Our challenge is mainly, um, what we described earlier is it, there's, there's a lot of CRMs out there. Uh, if you guys, for instance, are looking for one, it's not easy to uh, to make a decision on which one you want. And if you, you go on g2.com, you can scroll through a list of 650. Which one are you going to pick, right? What a lot of people do is just uh, type CRM into Google, then see what comes up, then decide based on that. It's obviously not uh, not not the best idea. Uh, much better is to figure out what what, what you need, uh, what you're solving for, mm, yeah. um, and then go look, uh, read some reviews, test some some products. Like I said before, test them with your sales team if you have a sales team. Now the the issue for us is that a lot of people don't do that, and 
Excuse me, that's my dog snoring. <laughs> I, I have one too. I'm just waiting for her to start scratching oh, at the window. <laughs> I, uh, I just, I, uh, I'm listening to you talk and I hear a, <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on right now? Yeah, <laughs> Did I... that wasn't me. <laughs> You're good. No worries. Go ahead. Go ahead. She's looking at me now and she's like, what did I do? What did I do? Is she, uh, uh, what kind of dog is she? It's a King Charles Spaniel. Oh, cute. Nice. Yeah, I have a Boston Terrier. She's still knocked out though. <laughs> Comfortably. <laughs> what was I saying? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. The issue for us is that a lot of people don't really do the research and then end up with a, with a competitor that just spent much more money than we did. Because it, uh, for, for those people who, who don't know, uh, everything is, is, is paid on the internet. Uh, even review sites are paid listings you see on blogs uh, just assume uh, they are paid so whoever pays the most uh, gets the most visibility mm, um, yeah. so it, it doesn't necessarily mean you make the right choice when you um, when you're googling and I, I actually for myself also I, I often find that really really annoying uh, because I want to find the best bluetooth headphones or so uh, <laughs> and everything is littered with uh, companies that just paid a lot of money but are not necessarily offering me the best thing. Right. But we're the number one in innovation, in audio. <laughs> like, it, well, number one from what? Who told you that? Because I didn't, I don't remember telling you that. So that's uh, that's great uh, that you share that with us because uh, it's, a re- it's research. That's what it is at the end of the day, finding research and identifying the, the needs and the issues that you're, that is going on with your company and how those two can marry each other Here's a CRM. Here's your issues and needs and how they marry together. So, mm-hmm. you know, starting a small CRM company, working specifically with small businesses, I imagine that building your leads and clients uh, was not difficult to maintain because I'm assuming that when you're starting a small business, building rapport, it's scalable. But how did you find those companies um, you decided to work with and how did they find you? Uh, they find us mostly. Uh, we don't really find them. They do their research. They find us at some point, trying different systems. They uh, they find that that they like ours most, and uh, that's that's basically it. We we have a, a whole process where you can start using our system without even talking to us. Uh, we prefer you talk to us because we we can help you better. Uh, we can make sure that you're actually successful in the long run uh, with the system. Uh, it's not just uh, taking something and, and, and going. I mean, it's very easy to set up, but if you want to really uh, implement it well, it's always best to, to have a chat with us. I mean, you don't need to talk to us. So a lot of customers we have never talked to because they never a- answered our messages because we try. <laughs> um, but uh, of, of the... People that get on our software, I think um, probably 50% is word of mouth or something. And then another 30 or so is uh, review sites and blog listings. And then, then another 20% is, is, uh, is our blog. Uh, it's a lot of content marketing mm-hmm. um, where people read stuff. And then at some point they're like, oh, maybe I should try Salesforce. Nice. So that's a, some of it, You is it because... Is you are you looking for like organic leads? Are you looking for people that just kind of 
come across something, giving you're giving the content, you're giving good information so that they find you? Or why, why is it that way? I guess I'm curious. Um, well, imagine if we want to grow, uh, ads are, are extremely expensive, uh, right, getting right. visibility in other places. Like I said, it's all paid. Uh, some companies earn um, 10 times or maybe more times as much per customer as we do so they can spend way more on acquiring them, which means that we need to go more through the, the organic channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, emailing people, by the way, is also extremely hard. Uh, like to convince them to to get to your system or so. So we focus on uh, writing content that is focused on specific issues you have in your sales or so. You find that, we explain it at some point. We're like, and okay, if you want to do that and that, you can do that with Salesflare and then we show it. And then people get interested. They're like, oh, so I have this issue. It works in the system. And then uh, other content is, is much more, uh, as we say, uh, top of funnel. It's basically, uh, you're looking for sales books. We have one of the, the top posts there. You read about a bunch of sales books. You see Salesforce at some point and you start sort of start starting to get an affinity with us. And then uh, if at any point you're looking for a system, you're like, oh, maybe I should try Salesforce as well. I didn't know this thing. Yeah, Yarun, I have some, I have a question about creating personal connections at scale using data and technology within Salesflare. So why don't you elaborate and tell us more about that? I know you're already touching on that at the moment, but I'm just curious if you have any tips for for creating those personal connections. Um, I would say um, when you are in conversations with people, um, try to take uh, every conversation as as really a new person in front of you, not another sales conversation. Uh, that, that will make it way more, uh, motivating for yourself, uh, because otherwise it starts becoming a drag, but it also makes that you can build better relationships. You, you get more, uh, insight into people. And then when you have that insight, keep it well and uh, take it into the rest of the relationship, because then essentially from there on you're, you're managing what you know about people, uh, you're managing the next step. That's what you're managing at every point in the in the sales or buying process. Like I, I need to get them to the next step here, and if if we're not going to the next step, then 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 probably it's it's lost. Uh, we shouldn't uh, continue trying to uh, sell this. Uh, so you really need to understand the person, uh, what makes them tick, what is their context, uh, what are uh, the forces that act on them, um, mm. what is the the major thing that we need to uh, take away here how can we get them more easily to the next step and when would it be good to do that like the the best salespeople are not only really empathetic they're also really uh, organized so it's (laughs) it's two levels you know yeah i love what you said about just treating each connection, just being open and being present and maybe having a template for what you're going to say, but flexing that a little, because I think it's really important that you're realizing, okay, this is a different person. So I'm just going to be in the moment and that keeps it novel and fresh for you. So like you said, it it's not becoming something that is you're growing tired of. It's like, okay, here we go again. I'm doing the same script. It's no, let me be in this moment and connect with this person. I even try to avoid a script. I mean, you can have some sort of standard part. I'd rather uh, 
first uh, let people explain for instance if if i if i get on a call with people it's like okay so tell me more what 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 do you guys do exactly who do you sell to uh how, how does your team look how, how do you organize yourself what is it that you expect from our software to do here uh, they explain that and then i sort of have a, a still a very shallow idea uh mm. but i have an idea of of what the picture looks like, what they're trying to solve. And then I can take them uh, through like, okay, our product, what you asked for here, our product really helps with it like this and that. And it does that better than other products because of that. And then this other thing that you asked that fits in there. And then I I can show the the right things for them. And I don't have to uh, take them through a whole boring product presentation (laughs) where they're just like, oh, next, next. Right. You're already addressing their issue while demonstrating your, your product. You're already yeah. addressing how to go about it. That's awesome. Or everything you're That's saying cool. is already on your slide. They don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we're closing in to know a little bit more about your business. We're going to get to the leadership questions in our next segment. But I want to ask one last thing is, where is the future of CRM going? I think the future of CRM, um, again, it depends what, what type of CRM, but the ones like us uh, for B2B sales, um, I think it's going to become more and more about sales uh, in the sense that, you know, a lot of people still think about uh, CRM systems as a database. It's the, a place where I put stuff. Now, the, the sort of system we built is more of a sales tool, actually. Uh, that is also a database, but it's it, the database aspect is, is secondary, if you know what I mean. It's a tool with which you work to do your sales, and it has information that helps you to do that. And I think the whole um, space is moving that direction. You can see it with the, the sort of features that are being added everywhere. A lot of sales tools exist now uh, next to CRMs also, and they all get absorbed into it. Uh, and then I think the next step is going to be unleashing all the data that has been built up uh, because as the sort of automation we build and all the tools come together, this means there's a gigantic pool of data well organized in one place if it's done well, at least. Um, and then you can really like build things like artificial intelligence, artificial yeah. intelligence on top of that to start making sure that you as a salesperson can automate all the little routine things you have to do in between. And then you can really focus on on having the conversations, uh, being really empathetic, uh, understanding what the customer needs, uh, really the human aspect. And all of these little things you need to do in between, um, like scheduling meetings and sending emails to follow up and uh, tracking information and updating stuff here and there that you normally have to do as a salesperson, you you can automate those away. Yeah, thank you for sharing your rune. I think that's becoming increasingly important as we work remotely to have those human connections and spend more time doing those things that I, I think are really key to our survival as humans, being able to have those conversations and connect. So as we segue into the leadership questions that we have, I, I wanted to ask you to describe to the audience one of your biggest failures, that was a teachable moment. I know failure tends to be a dirty word, but people have to understand that making mistakes is a key part of growing. <laughs> so yeah. I would love to hear from you. So many, um, but uh, 
some of the worst mistakes we make where we um, waste the most uh, energy, time, money, everything in one place is probably uh, hiring decisions. If you make the wrong hiring decision, it can weigh on you and the company and everything, the team uh, mm. for quite a while. We've made a lot of changes uh, there uh, over time. We've, we've, we started hiring later uh, in the sense that we first need to sort of figure out the job before we hire someone for the job. So mm. have an idea at least about yeah. the basics, how it's done, uh, get the basic approach going and then find someone who can do it better than we can, uh, but not the other way around, not, not uh, be afraid of trying to do it first ourselves, hire someone which we think will do it better than us. Because then at that point, we create this um, barrier between us and the approach, if that makes sense, where it's very hard to iterate on it. The person doing it is uh, inevitably less passionate than you are as a founder, uh, which then makes it very hard. Uh, plus, that's that's one part. Hiring the wrong person is, is, is even more terrible um, because at that point, uh, we've made a, a bunch of mistakes there with like, uh, I think it, it comes down to two things. Either they're not the right person for the team or not the right person for the thing they're going to do. And you need to be extremely careful about both of those things. Uh, when it comes to team fit, we now involve multiple people in the process uh, to all have a feel of who the person is. Mm, okay. um, That's we good. do references just to where we probe a bit deeper of references are always positive until a certain point and then you can dig a bit deeper, you know, yeah. um, to understand more about the person rather than just superficially because we've had some experience in the past where, you know, you, you start a collaboration, you might even immediately feel that it's not really working. Uh, but then you think like, I can still make this work. We're just going to go for it. And then sometime later you feel like okay now, now i'm sure it's not going to work and then you need to give a bit more time you cannot immediately fire you need to like give a warning and stuff and then try mm. it further and then fire and then you know it's a it's a it's a long uh painful and uh, expensive process which you want to avoid yeah sounds like dating to me <laughs> that's what i think of. but sort my of, partner sort of. yeah. <laughs> my partner has done a lot of recruiting so a lot of what you're saying makes sense and resonates with some of the insight he shared about that process it's it's a lot of time and effort and like you said sometimes someone who you think could be a good fit you don't actually know until they're at the company and then you realize, wait, we, we didn't know this about the person, even from the references, <laughs> interviews. So it's it's always a gamble to some extent. <laughs> yeah, what we ideally like to try even is to work together with the person before they uh, join. Uh, do some sort of little project together. It's easier with developers than with marketers sometimes. Uh, but that gives you a much better insight into how it's going to be on the long term. Mm. Yeah, take her on a date, show her around, see how she works under pressure. And then if it, yeah. fits, if it works out, then you are in perfect harmony. <laughs> take them to a therapist date, see what they share. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're talking about vulnerability. We're getting a little vulnerable now. And that's a great segue to this next question that a lot of people, a lot of our listeners, they're coming in thinking, okay, I'm, I want to start this type of business, but I really want... 
sometimes I, I, I don't feel like I, I have the right resources. I, I don't feel like I'm worthy enough or I, they have a lot of self-doubt. So looking mm-hmm. back at the genesis of Salesforce um, to its now to its success, describe a moment to us when you felt like you wanted to give up and you had the self-doubt when starting that company. What did you do to lift yourself back up from that? I think I think actually most of the self-doubt is before you start. I mean, obviously there was a lot of self-doubt uh, during the process uh, with Salesforce, but where where I think most of the listeners are stuck is is before that. You know, you 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 know you want to start something. Uh, you maybe have an idea of something. You're not sure it's going to work, and it, you you just stay stuck in that situation because the thing is. As soon as you then get started, uh, you can actually work on that self-doubt. As long as you keep dabbling in it, it's extremely hard. Uh, and I went through that experience as well. I, I, like, like I explained earlier, I, I did things as a teenager already. I knew I wanted to start my own company. But then I actually went working in a corporate because I didn't feel like I had enough experience in the real world. So I did that then. That was absolutely horrible. And then I, I joined a, a consulting um, where I sort of had my own company, but still not. I still did that for four years because I still felt like, okay, there's stuff to learn. Uh, I, I don't really know yet. And then when I when I actually the pressure was so high on myself uh, to um, to start something, I still couldn't because every time I would have an idea, uh, I, I, I first I would be in my uh, safety cushion, uh, but also I, I could easily shoot it down. I would do a bit of things on it, uh, but then I would uh, start doubting. And it's a, it's a very hard situation. And, and my advice would be uh, just start something. Uh, don't take too much risk. Uh, this is important. Uh, make sure you don't put your uh, life savings on the on the line or something. Uh, quit quit your job and uh, and then uh, work on something crazy w- while you never have started a company before. Don't do that. Uh, and it's only when I was like like I explained earlier, working with my co-founder on another software company that we found like oh maybe this is what we should be working on. Uh, so my advice would be just get started, do something. Don't take a whole lot of risk, but put yourself out there anyway, um, and you will learn things. Uh, things will start happening. You will meet yeah. people and you will be on your, in your way. It might not work at first, but that's perfectly okay. That's that happens to most people. So. Right. Especially when you're young, when you start off, this is one mentor of mine told me that when you're young, you have everything to gain, but nothing to lose because Definitely. whether you fail it, you're going to get some experience from it that you can implement anywhere else if you if it fails fine try another project if it if you don't want to do another project wow you have all this experience you've gained that you could go out and find a job to help you get some money and then come back at it again so it's a ever-growing thing yeah definitely i actually had a colleague that gave me the exact same advice uh about 10 years ago he said Irun, i'm i'm like 10 years older than you uh i i've started stuff i'm doing this now but I have this backpack that is ever growing. I have I have kids now. I have a house to pay. I have a car. I have, I have a wife to maintain. I have all these things. And uh, for me, it's much much harder now to to try and start something. For you, uh, you have nothing to lose right now. Just go mm-hmm. for it. Uh, maybe fail. 
but at least if if you wait until you're as, as old as me he said then it's going to be so much harder do it now <laughs> yeah so this is great because i wanted to ask you just about what an entrepreneur hack that you could tell the audience today. So we've been talking about some some tips for overcoming that self-doubt and just starting now, which I think is really key to just gaining some momentum. And what do you think are some hacks, something that we could just walk away with from today's podcast? Um, a hack. Let's say you're at that point that you want to start something. Uh, what, what's a very simple advice I would give is uh, think about uh, uh, who are you? Uh, first of all, uh, wh- how would what kind of things do you do? Are you uh, what kind of groups are you part of? And then think about what really frustrates you, and then start thinking of solutions for that. the The thing about that is is that if you are part of your target group of your solution in the end, then it's going to be much much easier for you to understand the context uh, of the problem, understand the people, understand all of that. And uh, you will be able to build up a much better connection. Uh, you will understand the problem much, much, much deeper. And um, you can also stay, stay passionate about it for a long time, which is absolutely essential. Uh, because uh, if you, if you own, already doubt that you're going to be able to stay passionate about a problem for five years or so don't don't do it Mm. um (laughs) but if you start with yourself um there's there's such a bigger chance that there's that it's going to become something like sometimes Mm. people told us for instance like um oh a serum like yours for real estate would be really amazing uh, but we don't know anything about real estate. Um, we don't particularly connect with uh, people in real estate. Uh, we don't have a feeling for real estate. We don't like it. I mean, it's, it. yes, there is a business opportunity there, but we probably wouldn't be the right people to exploit it. We build something for uh, agencies. I used to work in an agency and, uh, and tech companies. We're a tech company. Uh, we like these things, we understand them very well, and we can do a good job, right? So, mm. so look within your own sphere. That's what I'm saying. Um, don't do anything crazy that you don't understand. It might yeah. work, but it's generally a bad idea, I think. Love it. Look within your own spe- sphere. I can't say that. I love that. It's, there's something mindful about it. It seems like, okay, let me, let me dig deep and see. What makes me frustrated? <laughs> what frustrates me? <laughs> I need to Wait. change it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's how a great presentation should start. All right, what pissed you off today? You, everyone here, tell me. Let's just start get the ideas flowing, and then boom, new businesses start getting created because of that. Oh, yeah, thank there's you. one danger in there uh, that uh, you, for instance, at some point I thought about uh, starting uh, because I was so pissed off by the the, the process of moving places. Mm-hmm. moving from one apartment to the other and all the administrative stuff I had to do. And then I thought I can build something that actually takes your data once and then organizes all that. Um, what you have to be wary of then is if you if you don't like administration around moving and you're going to start a company around it, basically mm-hmm. what you're going to be doing is 
uh, organizing the administration about moving for years on end for other people. So it's not always a great idea. True. That is very true. <laughs> That's just one part of figuring out what direction you're heading. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Ryan, do you have any other, or uh, Richard, sorry, Richard, do you have any other questions uh, for Yaron? If not, we can get a finished wrap up. No, I just want to thank you, Yaron, for all your all of your insight today. I've learned a lot about CRMs. I know we're still in the process of picking one, so a lot of the tips you dropped today were great. So thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you're you. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for being on the show. I want you, Yaron, to take this time to drop any last words of wisdom if you have for our listeners today. All, all while giving our listeners where they can maybe contact you if they want to look and try out your CRM. Yeah, if you want to read more about Salesflare, salesflare.com, Flare is F-L-A-R-E. There's a lot of sales wisdom on our blog if you're interested, uh, which you can find also when you go to the website. You can try a software there. You don't even need to create an account to see it at first. Uh, there's a walkthrough without you uh, even uh, connecting your emails or so. When you connect your emails, it starts working for you and pulls all the information and all that. Uh, but you'll see that happening. If you want to get in touch with me, uh, LinkedIn is the best place. Um, there's only one person with my exact name. So if you find my <laughs> name somewhere and how it's written, uh, put it into LinkedIn. Uh, send me a connection request with a personal message. If yes. you do not include a personal message, I don't know why you're contacting me. I'm assuming it's spam because it usually is. Uh, but if you do add a personal message, I do know, and uh, I'll certainly connect with you and we can have a chat. Wonderful. And lastly, Arun, do you mind telling us just real quick, I forgot about the Sales Flare blog. I was reading a little bit into it last night. So do you mind just telling our audience about that? Because they're still in the process of learning and educating themselves. So I thought this was a great resource. Yeah, um, we have uh, lately mostly sales content on there. We used to write much broader as well. There's some marketing content. Uh, there's uh, We actually have a masterclass on there for, about startup funding. If you type Salesforce startup funding in Google, you'll probably find it. And one on content marketing as well, which are quite insightful. But if you want to learn about sales, uh, just follow our blog, uh, sign up for the newsletter, and we'll, we'll email it to you every two weeks. What's new? Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on our show.